0: Welcome to Meet the Contenders, a new podcast launched with the goal of introducing donors, activists, and volunteers to Democratic candidates running for offices all over the country and who will need our support to win. Today we'll be meeting Dr. Kathy Allen, who is well on her way to mounting a fight for the seat Jason Chaffetz may soon be vacating in Iowa's 3rd District. In our interview, Dr. Allen describes how her background as a family physician prepared her for running for office, and how far her campaign staff has already come to prepare for the race ahead. We really enjoyed getting to know Dr. Allen, and we hope you will too. Hello, this is
1: Jamie Lynn Crofts, and I'm here with Shauna Bray, and this is the inaugural episode of Meet the Contenders. Uh, I am a civil rights attorney in West Virginia and Shauna is a law school classmate of mine and we wanted to start this podcast as a way to really get to know the candidates who are running all around the country in the wake of the 2016 election um, so today we are here with Dr. Kathy Allen who is running for the seat that is currently occupied by Jason Chaffetz in Utah Dr. Allen, thank you so much for speaking with us today.
2: My pleasure.
1: Um, So I think that before we really get into it, we'd just love to learn a little bit about you and the district that you're looking to represent. Could you tell us a little bit about your background and why you decided to get involved in politics?
2: Yes, I'm a family physician. I've been practicing um, in the Salt Lake Valley area for about 30 years now. Uh, right now, I'm only practicing two days a week because I thought that I was um, heading toward retirement. Then the election happened, and uh, like most Americans, I was um, startled by the results. And my activate button got turned on. And the first thing I started to work on was the gerrymandering issue because I started analyzing in my own mind why I thought the election had turned out the way it did, and um, I came up with two big themes that I thought contributed obviously there are it's a multifactorial thing, but gerrymandering or what I called end stage gerrymandering was definitely a factor, and voting rights uh issues um, a continual effort to disenfranchise voters and put their voices on mute um, through these two efforts. And so I started to get involved, learning more about gerrymandering. And I'm actually still working on that issue. I didn't resign from any of the groups that I was on. But during that same time, I started to um, ask Jason Chaffetz why he wasn't investigating Trump's conflicts of interest. And I started to write letters to the editor and I spent time on his Facebook page. I wrote him emails. I wrote him letters. I left messages with his campaign staff. And I think that I started to feel um, that he wasn't being a responsible public servant. And as it happens, I started um, working right after college for a congresswoman. And so I had been a congressional aide back in the day for three years, and we answered every letter, and we answered every phone call. My congresswoman was very responsive to her constituents, and I started just remembering that. And then I went to the town hall, and I was very angry at the way he deflected the questions that we had. I thought that the questions were well thought out and well articulated, and people had uh, spent considerable time and energy to frame them, and they wanted answers. And, you know, I've never been in a group like that of so many angry people, and, and it was quite an experience to be there. But I sat in the sixth row, and I listened to all of it. I didn't have any questions of my own answered, but I just observed that he didn't answer hardly anything directly, and he deflected and dissembled so much that I was so angry when I w- walked out of there. Um, I had been thinking maybe about running, but that kind of solidified it. And so I think it was that week that I put up my Crowdpack, um exploratory campaign. And so that's sort of how it started. And what, what motivated me was bringing integrity and ethics back to government and I started to think about my particular skill set, the fact that I'd worked for the Congress before, but more than that, the skills that every family physician has. And I would say that that is a combination of objective thinking and critical analysis, on the one hand, the use of science and data-driven information, but on the other hand, because I'm a primary care provider, The ability to listen, which as time has gone by, and I've thought about this even more deeply, is so important to solving any problem. And it is in the field of medicine, uh, because you have to understand the problem first. And um, when I thought that I had a year and a half, I was going to go do a listening tour and try to find out what concerned the constituents of the 3rd Congressional District. But now that it it appears possible that there will be a special election in three to six months, I've kind of had to recalibrate everything. But that's that's sort of the background. Thank you
1: so much for telling us all that. Um, I, I, I love that you were involved in that town hall that you know went kind of viral. What sort of issues did the other people, do you think that you're potential future constituents are most interested in right now?
2: Well, I know at that town hall, um, people were frustrated about a bill he had put forth to sell off our public lands, and he actually withdrew that bill. Uh, So we were concerned about the Bears Ears National Monument, which, as you probably know, yesterday came under further uh, threat from the the Trump administration. Um, But people like the Bears Ears Monument for the most part in Utah. Um, We like our public lands. And there was a a large group of people that were angry that Jason was not supporting that. There were a lot of teachers in the town hall. And he had co-sponsored this bill to eliminate the department of education and it happened to be the same week that the Betsy DeVos uh confirmation vote was taken so he sort of jokingly threw that out to us as a compensation prize that um we wouldn't have to deal with Betsy DeVos because maybe the department of education would be eliminated anyway and you know that just got so many boos and he just um What was some of the other issue? I think the main issue and the way the reason people started chanting, do your job, was it was already evident by the time of his town hall that um, the Trump administration had some very serious issues, not only with conflicts of interest, um, but possible Russia uh, contacts and possibly even collusion and that was starting to break and people wanted him to investigate and you know, we all saw how he went after Hillary Clinton right. and, it, and it seemed so hypocritical so um, that just generated, a, a, that fueled a lot of anger. Absolutely, uh, so
1: I'd like to let some of our listeners know who may not um, that the Bears National Monument is 13 million acres of land that President Obama designated as monuments during his final days in office What do you think is a good resolution to this controversy and this issue?
2: I hope that if they do anything to it, it will be something um, insignificant just to satisfy their base, maybe change the borders just slightly, because I believe that, and you, you guys would know this more than me since you're attorneys, but I'm sure there will be lawsuits if he tries to undo the designation of that. National Monument or um, the, the Grand Staircase one that was done a few years ago or any of the other ones that are being scrutinized. I hope that I hope there will be lawsuits to protect uh, the Bears Ears.
1: Yes, I know that there are some great environmental activists in Utah who have been gearing up for this fight.
2: Well, With I'm rega- oh, sorry. Uh, I, I feel very strongly about it. And I want to go down there and and actually meet with the tribal peoples that came together to um, form a coalition to designate these particular lands, because they're sacred lands. And if, you know, all these tribes could come together and put aside their own differences and uh, pose this monument, plus it did have local impact. A story broke in the Tribune a few weeks ago that despite the Trump administration and the Utah uh, congressional delegation saying that no public input was had, there was this revealing email uh, between the Trump administration and the, or I guess the Obama administration, since it was before, showing a clear trail of um, discussions between the governor's office and the Obama administration about this monument. It shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody. So um, I'm horrified really to tell you the truth that from all of our history as Americans to this very day that we seem to um, show such um, little regard for our Native peoples. And um, I will do everything I can to... um, to be a voice for
1: them. That is great to hear. Another issue related to the environment that many of your constituents might be interested in is air quality. Oh, yes. Um, I know that by some metrics, Utah's said to have some of the worst air quality in the country. Uh, is is this an issue that you're interested in or have heard from constituents about?
2: Well, I live here. <laughs> I have to <laughs> breathe it. It's really bad in the winter, because of the inversions. It's very toxic. It has definite health implications. Um, It actually, there are some days that people are warned not to exercise outside. It's it's very um, compromising to people who have chronic lung disease, such as asthmatics, or people with COPD. Uh, But it's not healthy for any of us. And it would be like you know going in your garage and shutting the garage door and accidentally turning on your car. Um, it wouldn't be a good idea to breathe that. It's not good for you. So yeah, I mean the air pollution. It's it's got documented uh, harmful effects on children and adults. Um, and we, most of Utah wants it cleaned up. We just always fight against these. Corporate interests that want to maintain their emissions. So, um, but I think anybody that, that has to live in the Salt Lake Valley during the winter has got to be concerned about it. Dr. Allen,
0: you mentioned the potential collusion with Russia. And I wanted to circle back to the 2016 election in which President Trump was thought to have really very isolationist views. And in his first 100 days, he faced several international crises that seemed to be maybe making him recalibrate his view on international relations. I'm wondering what overarching principles would guide your foreign policy
2: philosophy? Um, well, it's not going to be just America first. Um, I think that we still have a role in the world I would say that I'm neither an isolationist nor a hawk, and that uh, negotiation should always be our first option. But of course, for national security, I would protect uh, the people of the United States and their interests. Uh, I think that is highly important to any commander-in-chief. Um, my my position would also be that he should get congressional approval for any Uh, interventions like that, because that's what the Constitution says he's supposed to do. And he, you know, he has so little experience in international relations and has made such a mess of things because he has not gotten advice and consent from people who know things more than he does, that uh, I think many of us live in fear that he's going to get us into another war or make an ill-advised judgment. And I think that's a real, it's a real fear. And I think that your philosophy definitely addresses
0: how we should respond to Syria and, for example, North Korea. But I'm wondering, you know, what happened with Russia is somewhat unprecedented. What do you think the appropriate response of the United States would be to what has happened with Russia over the 2016 election?
2: You know, I think that we really need to go back to some science here as well and As I've honed my message over this last six weeks or so since my campaign was filed, uh, one thing I come back to is I want to use science to solve problems. And I think that because a lot of the Russian intervention was cyber terrorism or cyber um, warfare that I'd like to see um, information technologists that have a specialty in hacking make uh, our internet and our um, our content more secure I think that we need a way to find out who's a bot and who's not and um, they need to be blocked the the proliferation of false information has uh, changed American culture and not not for the better it's When people, I just read this morning that Trump's base still thinks that the mainstream media lies more than he does. And somehow we've got to correct this course and get back to science-driven solutions. And I would just want to get all of the smartest people that we have in various fields together um, to figure out how to stop this interference And as far as the election itself, I have to be honest with you, if there was treason here or um, collusion, I think there should just be a whole other election. I mean, we didn't choose Trump or Pence if it was interfered with. And if Hillary Clinton is the rightful winner of that election, then she should either be inaugurated or we should have a new election. But I don't feel like like there's any sense of legitimacy to this administration. And it certainly has no moral authority in the world or in this country, as far as I'm concerned.
0: If you win this seat, I think that you and Maxine Waters will have a lot to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, I think that maybe I follow her on Twitter. Um, you, You spoke a lot about the legacy of Representative Chaffetz. And I wanted to ask you specifically what in his legacy you would seek to undo if you do win this office?
2: I think that I would be more responsive to constituent needs. Um, I would be honest. Um, I would do my best to avoid being owned by anybody. So far in my campaign, as as you might know, I I don't have any PAC money or corporate money. I have um, about eighteen thousand contributors, and they're. The average amount of contribution in my campaign has been between about 25 and $30, somewhere in that range. And I, I want to do what's right. And uh, the biggest thing I would do that would be different than, than what he's doing is I would hold the Trump administration accountable because that's the right thing to do. And I don't really care about having a long political future um, when people ask me about term limits, I just say, hey, my life expectancy will take care of that. I just I don't have any plans to be a, a professional politician at the age of almost 64 here. What I want to do is help our country get back on a, a course where ob- objective reality is up, re-upheld, and so are ethics and integrity in government. And that's why I'm running and If there's anything I can do for our country to further those goals, uh, that's what I would be doing if I I got up there.
0: You mentioned oversight of the Trump administration, and that definitely is one of the roles that Congress plays. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, congressmen are there to write and pass legislation. So I was wondering if you can point to a piece of legislation that you think was well drafted to promote the goals of the legislators that introduced and supported that legislation.
2: You mean recently?
0: You can reach as far back as you need to because you may not be able to come up with a very recent example. <laughs> I can't
2: think of anything. <laughs> um, Congress
0: has been dysfunctional for a long time. So yes, it might be hard to come up with. I,
2: I guess I could think back to the Senator Kennedy days when he and our Senator Orrin Hatch worked together um, for the CHIP program and for, for children's issues. Um It goes back that far. Maybe the last good legislation was the CHIP program.
0: What do you think that those legislators did to make that legislation come together well?
2: I think they put aside partisanship. And we've never had this kind of partisanship during my lifetime, um, except maybe during the Vietnam War. But... um, if two people from opposite polls like Senator Kennedy and Orrin Hatch could put aside those differences and work for the good of our country, um, that, that facilitated that legislation passing and that's been completely missing for years. And another thing I'd like to say um, is that some studies have looked at the impact of women on groups and it takes about three women in a group of 10 to break open the group think. So I think uh, relating to this issue of why there's so much partisanship and why nothing gets done, I really believe it would be improved if there were more women in Congress, because we do have a different take on things and a natural ability to cooperate, empathize, see the other side. And I think that, um, Congress might well change if in 2018 we get at least 30% of women or more to change this stuckness that's there. And that's another reason that I decided to run, is I think that we need more women representing this country. I mean, we're half the population.
0: You mentioned empathy and working together, and I definitely agree those are important characteristics of a functioning Congress. One of the questions that we solicited from the Code Blue group was, have your views on any issues evolved over the course of the time you've been paying attention to politics, which you mentioned reaches back as far as Senator Kennedy?
2: Um, Yes, I think that when I decided to run, I realized that this is a big district geographically, and I'm not LDS, and yet it's heavily Mormon. And I think one of the things that I realized was my responsibility would be to represent all of the people and not just my pet issues and to try um, to find common ground. And I started to feel uh, more compassion in some ways for people that might be different than me and to really, really want to do a good job. Um, And so as soon as I thought third district, you know, it's it's big, it's diverse, but it's very conservative and it's very Mormon. And if I don't reach out and find common ground, um, no one's going to take me seriously as a candidate. But secondly, I, I need to do that just to do a good job. You know, it's interesting, you, you brought up the LDS
0: Church, and we were thinking about that as well. You know, during the 2016 presidential campaign, pollsters had to scramble to recalculate forecasts in Utah to account for the popularity of Evan McMullen, who seemed to really connect well with Mormons. And in the meantime, we've seen a real rise in Islamophobia and anti-Semitism in this country. I'm wondering what religious diversity means to you and means to the people of Utah. Well, it's very
2: important. Religious freedom being part of the First Amendment, it's a key issue. Um, During the history of Mormonism, of course, they've undergone persecutions themselves. So um, there's a natural sympathy with other groups that are marginalized. In fact, Trump's uh, travel ban is extremely unpopular in Utah. The LDS Church has gone out of its way to... uh, help Muslims, and uh, they've even gone to protests. Um, There's a group here called Mormon Women for Ethical Government, and they tried to intervene as a woman was being deported who left behind a disabled child, and uh, they had a good protest, and they feel that this is uh, unethical and inhumane, And that's one of the common ground areas that that we can all agree on. In our state, we're not xenophobic. Um, A lot of Mormons have done missionary missions in other countries. They're bilingual, they understand other cultures, and uh, they're not happy at all about that part of the Trump administration.
0: I hadn't considered that. I'm aware that members of the LDS Church do go on these mission trips that expose them to foreign cultures, but that's a very interesting point, that that probably does shape the philosophy of your district when it comes to international affairs.
2: Yes, it's not like other conservative areas of the country. It has its own unique features, and one of them is sticking up for marginalized people and uh, sticking up a little bit for the the underdog and the oppressed, because they've been there. Mormons have been there.
1: Absolutely. Um, And for the past couple of years, we've been hearing a lot about immigration and some pretty nasty stuff about particular immigrant populations. The Trump administration also just announced its VOICE program, which stands for Victims of Immigrant Crime Engagement. Uh, And to my knowledge, there's no evidence that Immigrants commit more crimes than other Americans.
2: I don't think there is any objective not, uh, information about that either, and it just gets back to the whole data-driven thing. Don't propose policies that are not based in objective reality. Um, we're just, That puts our whole country on a, a fantasy mission, and it makes us lose credibility in the world, and um, it just disempowers us morally and ethically and we can't go forward if we don't embrace um, the data and if data doesn't show that uh, immigrants are all of these criminals um, it should be looking at what's their impact on our economics and I think most studies actually show that it's positive
1: absolutely um, and this is on a somewhat related issue um, there have been a lo- there's been a lot of talk about prisons, mass incarceration, and also racial justice generally, and toward the end of his second term, President Obama began to take steps to reduce our country's reliance on for-profit prisons, and we've seen a lot of reports of abuses in prisons, particularly private prisons, all over the country including some instances of torture in places like Chicago and Wisconsin. Do you think that Congress has a place or a job to do in improving our justice system?
2: Yes, I absolutely do. And while we're, well, we're on that topic of for-profit, it just seems like it often corrupts the organizations um, that put profit above humanity as a goal. And I feel like that about these private prisons, and I feel like that about health care. And believe me, I've spent 30 years in the trenches in the for-profit healthcare system. And the greed um, is manifest in the CEO salaries. And when you see people in this country that have no insurance at all, and then you compare that with the average CEO salary of an insurance company being somewhere around $27 million in 2016. Um, I just, I don't know why Americans accept that. Um, And if you're a practitioner of medicine, you're faced with these ethical dilemmas all the time. Like your patient doesn't have any resources um, and you're supposed to be making a profit For your for-profit owner, which I I had that experience for three years um, working for a large corporation. There are so many decisions that the corporation makes that I thought were against the interests of my patients, and I tried to fight them, and I got so weary. I would come home every night, and I would feel a sense of frustration and anger. And I was supposed to work for that corporation for five years, and I bailed after three.
0: That's understandable. There's not enough time to take
2: care of patients. There's too much regulation. There's too much paperwork. Um, And I'll just give you an example of the sort of dilemma that that I found myself in. When I was in private practice, which was most of my career, I had a lot of uh, medication samples that we maintained in the office in case people were in desperate circumstances. And we had insulin in the refrigerator. Well, this corporate chain that took over my practice um, didn't want us to have any samples. And so they made it so onerous for us to have samples because they basically brought in all of these regulations that would have made us act like both the doctor and the pharmacist. And at the same time, they were pressuring me to see more and more patients an hour. So it, it was it became impossible to do all of the paperwork they wanted me to do to dispense a sample to a patient. And so I, I allowed them to take all of them away. And then you would run into these situations where a patient on Medicare ran into the donut hole in about October, was diabetic um, and had no way to, to afford insulin. And I was faced with, well, should I just go back to pills, knowing that they're not going to control his diabetes? And then as soon as January comes, put him back on insulin. Should I try to uh, get some donated by uh, the people that manufacture insulin? You know, these are just the kinds of dilemmas that that I dealt with, where I just really wanted to help this patient to maintain his diabetes under control. And yet... Um, the government itself worked against that because it had the donut hole but I could have helped him a lot with just giving him two or three months of insulin samples but that was against the for-profit philosophy.
1: Right. I know that a big issue to a lot of Americans and something that came up at the town hall you attended with Congressman Chaffetz is the repeal of the Affordable Care Act and As a medical doctor, I would love to know what your opinion is on this massive debate that's going on in our country right now.
2: Well, I have to agree with Trump on one thing healthcare is complicated. (laughs) Um, You know, I didn't think the ACA was a perfect solution. What would have been great is when it came in eight years ago if they had included a public option then and that we had data to compare um, the public option with the rest of it. I think that it would have shown that if you get rid of administrative costs uh, and make it a program that works for everybody, um, that, that, that would have been the right way to go. And that's, of course, the direction that every other developed country has gone, is uh, state-supported health care. Whether it's single payer or whether you call it nonprofit, um, there's lots of ways to improve it. I think that Americans have a sense of hubris about our healthcare delivery system. We think it's the best in the world, but I'm sorry to say that the data doesn't support that either. We have higher um, mortality rates for um, newborns. Uh, pre babies in that. We have lower life expectancies. Um, we have higher incidences of various other negative outcomes. And it's a fantasy for us to believe that we have this superior healthcare system. What we have is a system that uh, is great if you're rich and you can afford all the highest technologies and the latest interventions. But the way the um, healthcare Dollars are divided up. It, it doesn't serve. It it doesn't serve people fairly. I think that's the big thing. You have uh, you have so much money to spend on healthcare, and Americans, of course, we spend more than anybody else does, and yet we have the lowest coverage rate. And it's a philosophical thing. You know, it's. Do you think it's a right? Do you think it's humane, to um, sponsor healthcare for everyone? I do. Because I've I've lived in a, a system where um, I've witnessed people dying from lack of insurance. And every emergency room doctor can tell you that it's expensive and inefficient to use the emergency room as a primary care source because it's more expensive. And yet that's what people do when they don't have insurance. They go to the emergency room. They don't get good follow-up. They don't get diagnosed um, sometimes in, in time to save their lives. Their chronic diseases are not under control and that costs everybody more. You have um, diabetes being a massive epidemic right now in the United States. And if you don't care, take care of diabetes. An already very, very expensive chronic disease becomes even more expensive when you look at taking care of the uh, kidney failure and the amputations and all of the other ugly stuff that results if you don't take care of your diabetes. So um, we need to just rethink this whole thing and realize that we'll actually save money. Uh, Even if our taxes went up some, um, all of us would save money in the long run um, by taking the for-profit motive out of health care.
1: Absolutely. I I lived in France for a while and it was Very interesting to see the the drastic differences between
2: a publicly run healthcare system and privately. Well, I've gone to France several times. I speak French. Uh, I lived over there for a month to study French a few years ago. And the person that I was staying with um, experienced a medical crisis while I was staying in his home. And I did witness that also. And it was um, incredibly smooth and efficient. And I went back to France a few years ago and had another incident where I got to see their healthcare system in action. And Americans are just so fond of believing that um, Canadians wait all this time for their optional surgeries. And I tweeted the other night that I bet I bet that no Canadian would willingly trade their health care system for ours. And several Canadians piped up and said, no way. <laughs> you know, it's just its just one of these myths, and everyone who ever talks about failed public systems always wants to point out Canada and Britain like they're the only ones, um, <laughs> despite the fact that basically all of Europe has some kind of state-sponsored system. Now, it doesn't mean that you have a single payer necessarily. I've, it's been brought to my attention that I think Germany ha- allows the different provinces of Germany to regulate um, private insurance. And that would be akin here to letting the states control it, but it would be very controlled and it would be controlled to the point where maybe you could say the administrative costs are not going to exceed what you'd expect for Medicare three to 4%. And it's not about profit. Nobody makes any profit on it. But if you did a system like that here, at least you wouldn't unemploy all of the current people that work in the insurance company, mm-hmm. except the CEOs, and that would be okay with me.
1: <laughs> and, and a lot of people, I think. Yes. <laughs> um, another issue that's related to public health and also the criminal justice system is the backlog that we've seen in rape kit testing. Uh, I've seen reports that local law enforcement all across the country right now can't afford to test rape kits, and so there are huge backlogs, and as a result, there may be serial rapists who have left DNA on victims but have never been identified solely due to to the fact that those kits weren't tested. Um, Do you have any ideas on what we can do to try to help victims of sexual assault see justice?
2: Well, I'm happy to say that Utah actually did do something about that. We passed a law this last legislative session, which ended in March, to test all of our rape kits
1: and to get rid
2: of the backlog. That is impressive. And I was so pleased with that. And it was a woman legislator who sponsored that. And of course, I would work on... Hoping that if I could at the federal level, I'm not sure how much that um, is a state issue versus a federal issue. But on, on just a humane issue, it's it's why should women's issues always be at the bottom is what I have to say. Why, why do women and our bodies get legislative, get over-legislated and controlled by men? But if our bodies are violated by men, um, no one seems to care. <laughs> you know, I I don't get that. That's a um, just evidence that there's still a lot of sexism in this country, and I think that was sh- it was shown in the election. Uh, the election just it just awakened in me this knowledge that we still have all of this racism. Sexism and xenophobia that we thought were so much further al- along to being eliminated. And now reality has reared its head, and we we realize just how divided we are and how many people um, still believe these things. Speaking of political divisions, so you're
0: running in a deep red district. I am. And to win, you're going to have to speak to people who've Supported specifically Jason Chaffetz in the past. What do you have to say to them to convince them that you're their candidate?
2: Well, first of all, I would point out that shortly before he decided to not run again, his approval rating had fallen to 52% from the 73% that it was um, just at election time. So he was rapidly losing favor, and the reason for that was that he wasn't listening to his constituents' desires for him to hold the Trump administration accountable. And of course, uh, that's one big reason I'm running is you can count on me for that. And I want all these other candidates to step up around the country and do the same thing and take take our democracy back. So that's, you know, one thing that I depart from him thoroughly on as far as the fact that some people like him still I do think that there's common ground to be found in the third congressional district, despite the conservatism. I think we all want to take care of our families. Um, We want the air to be safe. Um, A family physician that understands the risks um, is certainly going to promote issues like that uh, more than someone who's not so much geared to science. I think some other common issues are Utah favors public education. We voted down vouchers. Um, So that's not popular here. Um, And since Jason was a co-sponsor on a bill to eliminate the Department of Education, he's not real popular now with teachers and educators. And I would certainly depart greatly from that because I think that Public education is just the key to bringing back um, objective analysis of reality, critical thinking skills, um, getting people trained um, so that we don't have a brain drain coming up in this country. Um, Some other common issues that I've been able to reach out to people on are the public lands, the Bears Ears issue has angered a lot of people here, and I've made my opinion of that crystal clear. Um, I don't want any national parks reversed. And um, health care, we talked about that some. And what gives me some hope on that is even in our very conservative district, people are starting to have a dialogue about public options for health care. And I never thought that would have been true five years ago because people would throw around the word socialism as soon as you brought that up. But pointing out that Medicare and the VA system are already publicly sponsored and they work relatively well. um, There's an opening there, even even with the conservatives, that we're not using our health care dollars in a reasonable way. And some people are getting rich on the backs of the poor, and that's just not fair. So, uh, you know, those are areas that, uh, and of course, the immigration. So there's a lot. I mean, if there's going to be a few issues that, there's going to be issues that I probably can't bridge the divide on, but there's a lot where I can. And what I hope is, even though this election course got way, way foreshortened, If I can just meet people, most people warm up to me. Um, I'm pretty engaging personally, and I have a long experience in um, getting patients to trust me, and I'm a good listener. Um,
0: Oh, I... I Definitely think good bedside manner will serve you well when it comes to meeting constituents. You know, you also mentioned that you've raised quite a bit of money from small donors. What resources and strategies are you going to utilize to win this campaign, given that you know that the odds
2: are kind of against you? Um, I think we're going to do some polling and see what what the real turnoff issues are that people just won't embrace me for. I think we also recognize in the third district that even though it's much more Republican than it is Democratic, it also has a lot of independents and unaffiliated voters that are pretty repelled by the Trump administration. And we have to reach out to those people. We have to reach out to a percentage of the Republicans that are more moderate and that are just as disgusted as we are uh, with what's going on in our country. And we have to make a big inroads into the unaffiliated and independent voter. And we have to get almost all the Democrats. So the strategy will be registering new voters and getting out the vote um, and meeting as many people in public as we can. And, of course, I first have to secure the nomination. I was about to ask you,
0: you know, I, I realize that right now you're definitely the front runner. But if you fail to secure the nomination of the party, Will you help whoever does get the nomination?
2: Only if I believe in them. And the two people that I've seen, no, I could not wholeheartedly support them. I truly believe that that I'm the better candidate. Um, they're both young. They don't have um, they don't have a full career to. Um, to rely upon as experience. I I haven't seen a lot of consensus building from either one of them. Um, but would you drop out of the race? I think I just would try in 2018 like I was going to anyway. Okay. this
0: That was a, another listener question that I wanted to make sure we had you on the record on. People are yeah, concerned I, about
2: Yes, I know some people think I should just be a charity and give all my money away, but um, that money is... Was given to me as a candidate, and um, I'm I probably would try again in 2018. I'm hoping that um, the courts address gerrymandering. I know it might be optimistic to dream that they would do that before the 2018 election, but I do hear that it's possible. And um, so, there's just a lot that can change really quickly, and and I've already had to recalibrate everything once, and so I just try to stay flexible and do what I think is is right for the district and for the people that contributed to me, and right now I feel like I have the superior message, and it's not even clear that how our state is going to hold this special election because we don't have a specific law about it. And it's frustrating for me to not know when it's going to happen or who I'm going to run against right now. And Jason has uh, equivocated a little bit about when he's going to quit or even if he is going to quit early. So it makes it hard for us to plan our strategy. And, And I think that's probably part of the Republican Party strategy is to trip us up a little bit since we were so successful with the fundraising and the name recognition and all of that. And, you know, I already have a campaign staff and I've had one for a while and we have some paid campaign staff. We have some national organizations that have been helping us from the beginning. And we just have a lot of support around the entire United States. So I what, speaking of support from across from
0: across the United States I think you do have that. So if our listeners wanted to donate to volunteer to participate in phone banking or just to learn more about you where should they go to find that information? It should go on
2: our website which was only put up a couple weeks ago so it's still a little bit spare on content. So forgive it for that, but it has a place where people can volunteer and it has a place where people can contribute and it's um Dr. Kathy D-R-K-A-T-H-I-E, for congress.com. Thank you. And I really hope that you
0: get lots of volunteers and more money to help you launch this campaign against Representative Chaffetz.
2: I hope I or have. rather,
0: re- represent- against the, the Republican who will end up
2: entering the race. Whoever it is. The yeah. race. <laughs> Remains to uh-huh. be seen. I hope I get the same kind of support that Asif has gotten in Georgia. I think that's what, what it's going to take. It's going to take a huge effort, not only locally, but nationally, to make a statement that say, yeah, you just like Georgia did, you can win in our super red district. And what that means is that we do not like the direction that this country is going and we want to reboot it.
0: Well, you can win anywhere if you convince your constituents that you're the best person to represent them here in D.C. Yes, you can. I, that's my hope. So thank you so much for speaking with us. We really appreciate you taking quite a bit of time to address all of our questions today. Well, thank you very much. And thanks for what you're doing. Thank you for listening to Meet the Contenders. I'm your producer, Shawna Bray, and I'd like to thank contributors Imara Ledesma, Jamie Lynn Crofts, Yelena Kovic, and Jennifer Winter. Please join us in the coming weeks and support Rob Quist in his May 9th bid for Montana's at-large congressional seat, John Ossoff in Georgia's 6th race runoff on June 20th. And keep an eye on South Carolina's 5th District, June 20th special election for Mick Mulvaney's seat. And then later, Virginia Statehouse races coming up on November 7th.